0: This morning, we're going to take a look at Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. Uh, in your Bibles, it's in the New Testament. So, the New Testament begins with the Gospels, and then it goes to the book of Acts, and then it has a bunch of letters. If you get past the book of Acts, and you kind of keep turning, you will eventually run into the book of Galatians. So, as you're turning there, since we're just sort of dropping in here, uh, in the middle of the book, this is a little bit of a background. Uh, the book of Galatians is actually a letter. Uh, It's a letter written by a guy named Paul to a church in Galatia. And there's some issues that are going on in the church uh, there in Galatia. And the issues uh, are this, is that there are people within the church that are from a Jewish background that are saying that Christianity and the gospel and following Jesus is Jesus plus keeping certain laws from the Old Testament. Okay? And that's an issue. That's a problem. And Paul writes this letter to address that problem because he says that actually if you have Jesus plus anything, you actually don't have the gospel at all. That the gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so Paul writes this letter to this church to address these issues. And he writes it with this in mind, that the individual actions of people within the church, they actually have communal repercussions. That our sin is never just in a vacuum. That it actually has impacts outside of ourselves. And that's the stuff that's going on. And today, we're going to look at a specific example of what that looks like here at this church uh, in Galatia. So, I'm going to read for us Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. And let's hear this. Let's take this in. Just take in what we're about to read here. I promise you, after I read this, everything's downhill. Everything's downhill. This is the best thing that you're going to hear today. This is God's word. (laughs) But when Cephas, who is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, Peter drew back. that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's pray and ask God to help us understand his word. Uh, Father, you love us so much. Uh, You love us so much that you would actually give us your one and only Son, Jesus. And Jesus, you would come and you would actually willingly uh, lay down your life for us, that we would have life in you. You gave yourself to us, not pieces, not parts, but the whole of yourself to us. And in you we have life, and you tell us that we have life abundantly. And so, Holy Spirit, this morning, as we look at your word, would you show us that life? Would you show us our need? Would you show us our sin? Would you show us our brokenness? And would you show us how wonderful our Savior is? And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, When I was uh, growing up, I I loved sports. I still love sports to this day. Uh, I really, really enjoy sports. I'm enjoying that the Nuggets are going to be in the Western Conference Finals. Super excited about that. That's right. And basketball was one of my things. I know you wouldn't know it to look at me now, but but I was actually pretty good at basketball. Um, and I made the basketball team for my school when I was in middle school. And then ninth grade and 10th grade kind of came around and it turned out that everybody else kept growing and I stayed right about where I was at, which is what you see to this day right in front of you. And uh, But yet I still love to play basketball. And when I was... Uh, graduating high school, I got it in my mind that the school that I was going to, which was the College of Charleston, and back in the day, the College of Charleston had the best Division I basketball program in the state of South Carolina where I grew up. But I had it in my mind that I could walk on and I could make the basketball team at College of Charleston. I mean, I was, at this point, I'm like 17, 18 years old. At this point, you know, you should have come to grips with some realities, Right. But I did, I had it in my mind. Like I could could do this, I'm good enough, I could do this. And um, my youth pastor was a man named Joel Goff. And I told Joel about my plan. I'm going to College of Charleston in the fall, Joel, and I'm gonna walk on to the basketball team. I I really think I got a shot. Like I really think that I, I can make the basketball team there at the College of Charleston. And Joel, my youth pastor, he looked at me And he said, John Paul, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but you're only about five and a half feet tall. And you only weigh about 115 pounds. And I got to tell you, I don't think that division one basketball is in your future. I don't think that you're going to make the basketball team at the College of Charleston. You see, what Joel did for me is he helped me come to grips with a fundamental reality in my life a fundamental reality um, that I wasn't tall enough, I wasn't strong enough, I wasn't fast enough, all the things to be a Division I college basketball player. And, And here's the thing is that Joel loved me enough. He loved me enough to be honest with me about that, to be honest with me about that. And what our passage starts with this morning is that kind of love that kind of love. But it's, but, but it's not a love that's just honest enough to point out a skill set or genetic realities. But it's the kind of love that points out a fundamental problem. A fundamental issue. Paul points out to Peter that he has a fundamental issue going on. That he is deeply wrong and skewed in the way that he is looking at life. And that change needed to happen in his life. And here's Paul's point, okay? So this is our big point for us this morning. Paul's point is this. Jesus fundamentally changes us to live by grace. Jesus fundamentally changes us to live by grace. We're going to see that through two things this morning. We're going to see that through the love of a friend and the grace of a Savior. The love of a friend and the grace of a Savior. So let's start with the love of a friend. This is verses 11 through 14 for us that we just read. This is Paul addressing something that's going on with the apostle Peter. Peter, one of the guys that was like walking side by side with Jesus while Jesus was here on the earth. And Paul is telling Peter, Peter, you have a fundamental issue with the way that you are looking at life. You are not looking at life by grace, but by something else. By something else. Peter, you are looking at life through the approval of other people. You care more about what other people think than about what Jesus thinks. That's the reason that Paul is calling Peter out. Peter's drawing back from these Gentile believers because of what other people think. And this isn't the first time that that Peter struggled with what other people think. It's actually... A deep part of Peter's life that we get to see throughout the scriptures. You see, Peter's always struggled with this. If you'll remember, Jesus, before he went to the cross, he told Peter, Peter, you're going to betray me three times before the rooster crows. And what did Peter say? No way. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. Nope. Not me. Not me. Everybody else might leave, but, but Jesus, I'm here. I'm going to stay. And then what happens? He's confronted Hey, don't you know this guy? Peter's like, no, I don't know this guy. I mean, even to the point where a, a, a young girl points out to Peter, Peter, I've seen you with this guy, with this Jesus. I've seen you walking with this Jesus. And Peter says, no way. Peter struggled with caring far more about what other people thought than about what Jesus thought. And it continued on and it carried on in the specific issue that Paul is addressing here is an issue that God actually addressed with Peter back in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 10 and 11. Here's what happens in Acts chapter 10 and 11. Peter goes to sleep, and this is recorded for us, and he has a dream. And in this dream, God communicates something to him. And what God communicates to Peter is that all kinds of foods, all foods are clean And edible, and you can eat anything, all kinds of foods. And that Gentiles actually belong in God's people by Jesus' life, by Jesus' death, and Jesus' resurrection, received by grace through faith alone. So, verse 12 is an issue. It's a problem. Look back with me. For before certain men came from James, Peter was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. You see a little bit of background here. You see within the the Jewish customs, and we see this if we read through through the Old Testament. The Jewish people had laws. They had laws around clean and unclean, cleanliness and uncleanliness. And what those laws were designed to do was to communicate to God's people that you have to be clean in order to enter into God's presence. And some of these laws pertain to the foods that the Jewish people could eat. But also pertain to who the Jewish people could eat in company with as well too. And so this is the issue that's going on here. But Paul says Jesus changes all of that. He changes all of that because by grace alone, through faith, anyone can be clean. It's not about keeping these food laws or keeping these other ceremonial laws. It's about Jesus. By grace alone, through faith alone, anyone can be made clean, can come into God's presence by Jesus. In other words, Jesus fulfilled all all of those cleanliness laws. Jesus alone is the one who gets us into God's presence. It's only Christ. And Peter, Peter is afraid of the circumcision party. I'd be afraid of a circumcision party too. I'm sure you would as well. No, not that kind of party. Not that kind of party. Peter feared a group of people. Think of it more like political parties, right? Um, He feared a group of people called the circumcision party. And this circumcision party, what they were saying is that salvation is Jesus plus keeping these ceremonial laws. In essence, saying that Jesus did not fulfill these ceremonial laws is still left up to us to do these things. So Peter, you're not supposed to eat with people who don't follow those food laws the way that we're supposed to follow them. And what Paul does is Paul calls it like he sees it. He calls Peter out and he says, Peter, your life is fundamentally missing grace. Fundamentally missing grace. You see, because grace is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And by the way, Peter you're also leading others astray too. You see Peter, your sin is not in a vacuum. It actually has an outward effect. Barnabas is being led astray even. You see the individual actions within a community, they actually have communal repercussions that exist and Paul he loved Peter enough to be honest with him. He loved Peter enough to be honest with him that Peter, you're not living by grace. You're not living by confidence in what Jesus has done for you. But you're living out of fear, Peter. You're living out of fear of what other people would think more than what Jesus has done for you. Now, I don't know about you. But I read, I read this Man I identify with Peter. Man, I identify with Peter, and I venture to say every single one of us in one way, shape, form, or fashion is more concerned about what other people think than what Jesus thinks. Whether it's the clothes that we wear, whether it's the car that we drive, whether it's the job that we have, whether it's that you want to be seen by everybody else as not caring about what anybody else thinks about. That's still a version of caring more about what other people think than about what Jesus thinks. For me, I really, really care that you guys see me as thoughtful, as clear, nuanced, understanding. I really care about those things. In my last year of seminary, we were living in uh, living in St. Louis, Missouri, and I took a class uh, called pastoral theology was taught by a man named Jerem Bars. And the capstone assignment for this class Jerem uh, gave to us is that we had to write a paper on the sin that we thought had the potential to destroy our families and our ministry. <sighs> Let me tell you, <laughs> that's not a fun assignment to get. And Jerem actually encouraged those of us who were married, if we felt like we had a good enough relationship with our spouse to actually take that assignment to our spouse and to ask our spouse to answer that for us. But he said, only if you feel like you have a kind of relationship where you can do that. So I, being full of myself, went home and said, Carrie, Jerem gave us this assignment. I want you to answer it for me. Now, I want you to take some time with this, Carrie. Don't, you know, don't just you know, off the cuff it here. Spend a little bit of time with it. And then let's come back to it, and I'd love to hear your answer. So I did. So I asked her to answer this question. What sin, Carrie, do you think has the potential to destroy our family and destroy any ministry that I enter into? And so Carrie spent a few days with it. And I remember we were, lit, we were driving uh, north on 170 in St. Louis. And it had been a few days and Carrie hadn't come back to talk to me. You ever, you, you ever done something like that? Like you ask somebody to answer a question for you and then a few days go by and they haven't given you an answer yet? So I was starting to feel it, right? And so we're driving up the road and I asked her, I said, Carrie, you know, that question I asked you to answer for me a few days ago. Um, you given any thought to that? And uh, she said, yeah, I've actually given quite a bit of thought to that. I said, well, do you, do you have anything for me? I mean, do you, do you have an answer for me? And like a lot of guys, here's my, one of my expectations was is that, is that she was going to say something like lust and sexual sin. You know, that's a, that's a common thing that, 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 that men struggle with. And I thought, okay, this is, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready for this. I can take this hit. And then, like, out a left field, like a Mack truck just smacked me right in the face. And she said, I'm afraid that one day you're going to say something out of judgment and anger that you won't be able to take back with our kids or with people in your church. Oh, man. And she was communicating to me that my desires, my desires to be seen as thoughtful be seen as clear, nuanced, and understanding at times those things can take over in me. And then what that becomes is, you know, I'm more thoughtful than you are. I'm more clear. I'm more nuanced than you are. You should follow me. It's actually rooted in a fear uh, that others would see me as competent and worth following. And my wife, she loved me enough. She loved me enough to say there are times that you don't live by grace. There are times that you don't live by the reality that in Jesus, John Paul, you are fully received and loved, not because of what you brought to the table, but because of God's love for you in Jesus. There are times, John Paul, where you are tempted to live by self-righteousness instead of that, and what that does is it can make you angry and judgmental. And here's the truth. Like Peter, I still struggle with this stuff. I still struggle with these things. The question for us that leaps out of the text to us is, do we have friends in our lives who love us enough to be that honest with us? Do you? Do I? Do we have friends in our life that, that, that love us enough to help us see where we struggle? To care more about what others think than about what Jesus thinks? You need those kinds of people in your life. I need those kinds of people in my life. We both do. We all do. And if for just a second, if I can, if I can take a little bit of a side, but it relates to this. And young people, I'm specifically talking to you. And when I say young people, 30s and under, okay? All right? You are living in a world where the definition of love is unqualified affirmation. That's the world that you're living in. That is the air that you breathe. That that unqualified affirmation predicated on that there is nothing wrong with whatever I want to do, however I want to do it, whenever and wherever I want to do it. That's the world that you're living in. Parents, this is the world that your kids are growing up in. And I want to tell you this. i got to be honest with you about this. That definition of love makes it impossible to live by grace. Impossible. Young people, reject that notion. Please, please. Grace is so much better. Grace helps us see where we're lost. Grace helps us see where we're sinful. Grace helps us see that love is a thick thing, not a thin veneer of something, but it's thick enough to be honest with us. It faces, us, faces the reality of our own sin and our own brokenness and our own need to be fundamentally changed by grace in every aspect of our lives, in every conceivable way. Actually, we all need to hear that, not just young people. Well, then what Paul does for us is he tells us exactly where that grace comes from. So we transition from the love of a friend to the grace of a Savior. You see, that grace comes from a person. It comes from Jesus. Look back at verses 15 and 16. Paul goes on to say, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ Christ. And not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You see, what Paul is saying here is there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles. That salvation is by grace through faith. And it's the same for everyone. Verse 16, grace looks like not being justified or made right. That's the idea here by my ability to keep some sort of set of rules, but only through faith in Jesus, the grace of a Savior. Faith that Jesus has done everything on your behalf. And that we do nothing but receive it as a gift completely. Completely a gift. Grace means that nothing is earned. That all is gift in Jesus. Paul was communicating to Peter and to this church here at Galatia. This is what your salvation is rooted in. What Jesus has done. Not what you are doing. Not what you have done. Not what others think about what it is that you are doing. Paul is encouraging them to grow in their confidence in Christ, not in self. Then verses 17 through 18, it's almost as if Paul anticipates a a rebuttal from this circumcision party, from these Jewish people inside of this church. The rebuttal goes something like this. Well, won't this grace alone thing just give people permission to run headlong into sin? Won't this this just grace, by grace, through faith alone, just, just, just let people say, well, I can just do whatever I want to now. And Paul is so clear, and he says, no way, no way, not at all, not in the least, not in the slightest, not if they really understand what grace is, not if we really understand grace, because grace shows us our sin is much deeper than keeping a set of rules, that our sin is a a heart issue that fundamentally in our hearts, we are opposed to God and the life that he has for us. Paul saying, uh uh no way. There's no way that Jesus leads people to sin. Uh Uh-uh. Jesus leads people to grace all the time. Grace does the opposite of free us to sin... It frees us to follow Jesus, to run away from sin, to run into the arms of our Savior. Therefore, what grace does is it frees us to come to grips with our sin and to come to grips with the depth of of our sin. That we are fundamentally changed by grace to take in the cost of our sin, which Paul shows us in verses 20 and 21. You see, the cost of our sin was a cross. Was Jesus going to the cross and actually really and truly becoming all of our sin on our behalf. All of the ways in which you value what other people think more than what Jesus thinks. Jesus became that for you and for me. And in exchange, what Jesus did is he gave us his righteousness. And we're justified by that, not by anything that we bring to the table. And that means we can say along with Paul in verse 20, my life is caught up in Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live. I live by the flesh because of what Jesus has done in giving himself for me. That's Jesus' love for you and for me. The cost of it was the cross, and he willingly went there with joy in his heart because he knew, he knew that he was going to get you and me. What? And we're fundamentally changed to live by grace because of what Jesus has done. And that means we get to own our sin and run to Jesus again and again and again. And here's here's what that means. That means that we should actually be encouraged in the struggle. Because struggle means grace. You see, when we see struggle and we have friends who love us enough to point out our struggles, that's grace at work in your life and in my life. If we're not struggling, we don't have grace. If we're out there and we're convinced that we just sort of got it all together, then we fundamentally need to be changed by grace. The struggle means that grace is at work in your life and in my life. And that means that we've got to have friends to love us the way that Paul loved Peter. Which means that we've got to let people in. we got to let people in so that others will help us see grace more clearly. And how that works itself out in our own lives. You know why Paul could say this to Peter? Paul could say this to Peter not because Paul was just somehow better at this grace thing than Peter was. You see, Paul had the same struggle that Peter did too. You flip back to Acts 9, just before we get to those dreams that Peter had in Acts 10, we see that Paul was a man who was absolutely committed to seeing Christians put to death for what they believed. Paul was a man who was absolutely committed to others thinking that he was the smartest, that he was the most committed, that he was the most loyal, that he was willing to actually go and to have these people who were following Jesus arrested and brought back and put to death. And then what happened? Paul ran into Jesus and grace fundamentally changed him. Paul ran into Jesus and Jesus looked at Paul and he said, why are you persecuting me? Jesus literally blinded him by grace and in blinding him by grace, it opened up his eyes and his heart to see the depth of his sin, the depth of how much he was committed to valuing what other people thought than what Jesus thought. And it opened him up to grace and Jesus was not only the Savior, but he was a friend who loved Paul enough to be honest with him. And to say to him, Paul, you're missing it. It's not about keeping these rules, keeping these laws. It's about me. It's about what I've done. My life, my death, my resurrection. Paul, get caught up in me. Get caught up in me. Never get past me. We never get past Jesus. We always, always, always need Jesus. Jesus is our savior and he is the ultimate friend who loves us enough to be honest with us. And his grace, it never fails. It never fails. Jesus fundamentally changes us to live by grace from start to finish. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you. That your grace is real. that, That you do change us. That you love us enough to come to us and to tell us you're not perfect. And as a matter of fact, we're deeply flawed and messed up. Our hearts are bent toward living life for ourselves. And Jesus, you come to us in grace and you show us where life is and life is in you in your life, and your death, and your resurrection. And so, Holy Spirit, this morning, would you impress upon us grace anew and afresh? Would you show us where we're striving to care more about what other people think than what Jesus thinks? Would you give us friends who love us enough to help us see these things? Would you work in us to make our Savior more beautiful and more believable to us? And we pray these things in Christ's name, amen.